Hello. We're really glad that you've decided to spend some time with us today. My name is Ethan, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're Disciples Making Disciples in the west side of Los Angeles. And we are exploring some of the ways that we see Jesus portrayed in the Gospel of John. Today we encourage you, if you've got a Bible with you, you can open to John chapter 6, or just go ahead and listen as we read the story that we can find in John the 6th chapter. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread, so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he knew himself what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boat and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do, that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. 
For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should, not, I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe, and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simeon, Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So in John chapter 6, we've already seen some of the story of Jesus. We've seen in the beginning of the book 
Jesus is the Word made flesh, who is God, active in the creation as the light of the world, in the first 18 verses of John, chapter 1. The rest of chapter John, uh, chapter 1 talks about his preparation for the ministry, uh, who John the Baptist is, uh, that Jesus was baptized, and the calling of the first disciples. In John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, the first miracle of Canaan and Galilee, the turning of water into wine. Uh, chapters 2 and most of 3 are the first Passover in Jerusalem, where he cleanses the temple and has a conversation with uh, Nicodemus, really setting the tone for the rest of his ministry. The rest of John chapter 3 and 4 uh, are Jesus' travels in Judea, Samaria, and Galilee. Uh, he's baptizing. He has a discussion with the woman at the well. And a second sign, healing the servant in Galilee. In chapter 5, Jesus had returned to Jerusalem, that the lame man was healed on the Sabbath, and he explained his relationship with the Father, and the judgment on the day of resurrection. And so now we're here at chapter 6. And it's interesting that he goes, and he seems to cross the Sea of Galilee to Decapolis. And he sits on the mountain to, with his disciples. And John says that the, the, the Passover draws near. The time of the Passover draws near. And this is going to be an important detail, because we don't see... Jesus directly going there. Uh, we're told in chapter 7 he goes up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Booths. He might well have gone to Jerusalem for the Passover. Uh, so, But but it's not happening right now. So the fact that the Passover time is near is, is something John is a detail he wants us to, to know as we see this whole story. And we'll look at how that's going to work. So, Jesus starts by asking Philip, where they could buy all the bread for these people. And Philip says that, you know, 200 denarii, which is about 200 days worth of labor. Um, so, you know, if you look at $11,600, if you looked at it in terms of minimum wage uh, today, but a lot more in buying power. And that would not be enough to buy the bread needed for all these people. You have 5,000 people there. And so you'd need a, a decent amount of money to buy food. Now, Andrew had found a boy who had five barley loaves and two fishes, but what was that going to do? But Jesus has them all sit down. There are about 5,000 of them. He, he blessed, gives thanks. Uh, and when they're all done with the bread and the fish, they take the remnants, uh, which are 12 baskets of broken pieces, which, you do the math, there is a lot more than five loaves would have provided, which shows that there had been this miraculous providing of food. And so the people see this, and they say, well, hey, here he is. He's the prophet to come. And they want to make him king. And the whole, even the idea of the prophet who was to come, the, of all the different prophecies of the Messiah, the prominent one about him being the prophet was in Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 18, that when Moses says that God was going to raise up a prophet like him. And again, something we need to keep in mind, these references. Um, but he would not be made their king, so he left. He went to a mountain alone. Uh, the disciples, as we, we find out here, they, they go on the Sea of Galilee in a boat. Jesus not with them. There's a storm. Jesus walks out to them. And so they're all back in Capernaum now at the end of that section. And apparently, this, this all goes down in the synagogue If we at the end of the section. We're told this. And so now there's this conversation, ostensibly perhaps even on the Sabbath, in the synagogue uh, from John six twenty five through 59. And so the Jews want to know why he left them. Oh, and he'd say, well, you believed because you ate the bread. You, you, you didn't believe because you saw signs. You were filled, and you want more food. And so he, he kind of sets forth this statement that's going to dis, 
really guide the rest of the conversation. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. So there's a food, the bread that perishes, and the bread that does not perish. And so the Jews say, "Well, what is this? This? Uh, how do you how do you get this bread? How, how, what 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 is this here going on?" And he says, "Well, they need to do the work of God, uh, to believe in Him whom He has sent, which is Jesus. That's what that's what you need to do." Uh, and so the Jews say, "Okay, okay. Well, what's the sign that you do?" To show us these things, so you might you might think, wait a second, these are the same people who, the day before, said he was a prophet to come in the world and had multiplied all this bread. Well, well, well and good, and the Jews haven't forgotten that. But even what they're saying here, looking at the manna from Nehemiah nine, Psalm seventy-eight, they're looking for more assurance. They're looking for some kind of declaration. And you know, you would think that what just happened would have been enough, but no, it's it's not. Which kind of helps show why Jesus has said what he has said. But first, what, what Jesus needs to make clear is that Moses didn't bring them bread. Okay, uh, The Father gave the bread. And the bread is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And the Jews want this bread forevermore. Then again, they probably don't really know what they're asking for. They're probably thinking it's still stuff you make with wheat and dough. So, Jesus then comes out with it. I am the bread of life that those who come to him will not hunger or thirst that these uh, Jews have seen but they don't really believe and uh, all the ones who God gives to Jesus will come to him and they won't be cast out that Jesus comes through the Father's will and all who come to Jesus will be raised on the last day and all who behold Jesus, believe on him will have eternal life, will be raised on the last day and so the Jews now this, this is where things start getting a little awkward they're like, wait a second he's the bread of life who came down from heaven this is, this is Joseph and Mary's kid. What does he mean he come down from heaven? And uh, you can certainly understand that. Well, Jesus tells them they shouldn't be murmuring like that. Um, that only the one who uh, is the one who's the Father has drawn him. And he quotes from the prophets that all will be taught of God. And you can see, some people try to find that in Jeremiah 31, find it in other passages. It's probably kind of a rough synopsis. He's not actually directly quoting somebody. But that is certainly the message you can get from Isaiah 2 and, and his parallel to Micah, Jeremiah 31, that the, the, the message of the, of, uh, of the Messiah would go, and, and many would come to, to serve Yahweh. Uh, not only the Son has seen the Father, and the one who believes has eternal life. And so Jesus then springs this on him that, well... Uh, your fathers ate the man in the wilderness, but they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven that one may eat and not die, which is his flesh. And so now, this is really controversial by verse 52. How can he give his flesh to eat? Uh, cannibalism's not really been high on the list of things that you should do and follow God. And so Jesus says, and just kind of goes further, you have to eat his body and drink his blood and have eternal life in the resurrection, because his body and blood are true light, bread and true drink. Uh, that those who partake of his body and blood have life in the Father, uh, and they abide in Jesus. Uh, Jesus is teaching all of this in, in Capernaum. And so, at this point, the focus turns. We don't actually hear the response of the 5,000. We, we can presume that they, they're not taking this well, because even his own disciples, who we, we focus on now, we're talking about the disciples here, it's not uh, just the 12. 
In other parts, there's other disciples. There's the 72, uh, 78 times. Uh, there's a whole uh, entourage following Jesus beyond the 12. And so we are to imagine here that these are a lot of people who are beyond the 12. And they, and they say it's a hard saying. They're having a really hard time dealing with this. Again, you're seeing as this constant contrast in John where a lot of the Jews are thinking very physically and concretely. And so they can't get beyond the idea of eating Jesus' body and drinking his blood in a concrete, literal sense. And they, this is very repulsive to them, and it causes revulsion. And if it were to be understood on that literal, concrete plane, it would be very revolting. Absolutely. Um... And so Jesus asked it. They take offense at it. And well, what's going to happen if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? I.e. to return. Son of Man ascending, Daniel 7. That, that's looking at getting that power. Uh, and then he makes it clear that the words are spirit and life. That uh, the, the flesh is of no help. The spirit gives life. And so there's your indication. There's a spiritual understanding going on here. Not a fleshly one. But no matter. We're told many of the disciples no longer follow after him. Um, they, they, they go and they, and they depart. So then Jesus now turns to the twelve and says, well, are you going to go away as well? And we get Peter's confession here, which is the closest thing we get to a, a confession of Peter uh, here in the book. And, that, and then he, he, he says, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of Israel. He doesn't have a full, robust affirmation uh, wanting to dig in and eat. But he's at least understood enough to know he needs to trust in Jesus. And so Jesus, we we presumably just accepts this and is glad to see it, but he yet wants to point out that did I not choose you, yet one of you is a devil. Pointing out, of course, what Judas Iscariot would go ahead and do. Now, after this, Jesus would continue to teach in, Jeru- in Galilee, would go up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot, which would have happened a few months later. Uh, and uh, chapter 7, 8, 9, and into 10 all involve that episode. And then later on in 10, it's, it becomes ha- uh, the Feast of Dedication, Hanukkah. So we're looking and projecting far in the much later, in, in advanced in that year between the second and third Passover. And so this is all we're told about the time of the second Passover. This, how Jesus fed the 5,000 and the, and the conversation that followed. And this is a, the, the conversation is going to be our main focus. Because the feeding of the 5,000 described in all four Gospels, one of the things that you see throughout all of them, Mark, Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke 9, many of them even see the crossing of the sea. But only in John do we see this discourse between him and, his, and the people about what's happened the spiritual dimension of the event. Uh, it's very easy for people to see Jesus feeding all these people and assume that the point was to take care of their physical needs to show his authority. Yeah, they, they saw his authority. They saw who he was in John 6, 14-15. We're willing to say he's a prophet to come to the world, but uh, that was going to cause even more difficulties. And, and so Jesus is not feeding them to take care of their physical needs only, or even primarily. He saw that when he fed them, they, 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 they came back for more food, but they didn't seem interested in, in, in the message behind the food. And that was made very evident when he began talking about the message behind the food. So why is it that Jesus feeds them? Well, he's, he's setting up this contrast. He's setting up, in fact, the very same contrast that the antecedent Moses, the one of whom Jesus is the prophet, like in Deuteronomy 18, 
but Deuteronomy earlier in chapter 8, Deuter- uh, Moses had said to the people, The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to, your, to give to your fathers. And you will remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you, these forty years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you, and let you hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, the mouth of Yahweh. So, Moses explains the manna. Okay, you, you were dependent upon God for bread. This was a physical bread you were eating to show that you need to be dependent upon the words of Yahweh for life. Now, throughout the whole discussion, whether the Jews see that reference or not is is disputable. We can see for certain that they don't get out of that literal, physical, concrete realm of things, which is why they turn away in horror at the type of things Jesus is saying. But they're not seeing what Jesus is really trying to communicate. Jesus never actually quotes Deuteronomy 8.3, but it's there throughout. Because this whole scene, the whole Passover scene, is is reminiscent of the wilderness. The Passover was the moment where they were liberated to go into the wilderness. The wilderness is this time of testing, that to see if Israel was going to be sustained. And in fact, the it's not like the Jews didn't notice this. The Jews themselves they wanted the sign. They said Moses you know, gave our fathers bread to eat. They're making this contrast. Okay, if you are the prophet like Moses, Moses gave our fathers bread to eat in the wilderness. What are you going to give? And Jesus is saying, absolutely. You're from, uh, God gave you bread there. God is giving you bread here. The, the contrast, it, it, the, it, the comparison is full. It goes all the way. It's just that they don't understand what it means. But we know what it means. Because we're reading the Gospel later, and we're seeing how John has framed it from the beginning. That in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. The Word was God. And then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Which means that every single time we see Jesus in the Gospel of John, we are to see the Word made flesh. And the Word made flesh is standing here talking to the Jews, saying he's a bread of life, how their fathers ate man in the wilderness and they died, that those who eat the Word of life will never perish but have eternal life. After all, Moses said that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word proceeds from the mouth of Yahweh. So who's God's word? Jesus. That's why Jesus says he's the bread of life. That's why he says that those who eat his flesh and drink his blood have eternal life in them, because they are sustained with the word of God, the, the, the thing that provides true sustenance throughout the generations. And that's why he affirms to his disciples then, his words are spirit, and in them is life. It's in verse 63, to make them concrete, emphasis and cannibalism is the difficulty he wants for them to avoid. It's the reason why some of these Jews stumbled and, 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 and departed. 
And so that's why we've got to be very careful when we talk about the Lord's Supper. A lot of people say, well, hey, look, it's the Lord's Supper. Eat his bread, body, eat it, drink his blood. And then Leah's going to say, this is my body, this is my blood. But it's not the Lord's Supper. This is the second Passover, not the third Passover. This is at least a year before it's going to take place. Although it is interesting, isn't it? The first Passover, he talks about the temple of his body. The second Passover, he's talking about the, the, his body as the bread of life. And the third Passover, he's actually distributing the loaves. But it's a mistake to say that B and C are the same, but not A. In fact, what's going on is that A, B, and C are all pointing here to the same truth. It's not that he's talking about the Lord's Supper here. The Lord's Supper is working on the same level here as this conversation. The, the idea that Jesus is the Word made flesh, that life comes from his body and blood. The Lord's Supper is a physical illustration of what is the spiritual reality. We remember his life, his death, his resurrection, and the bread and the fruit of the vine. We need to seek true sustenance from his body and blood, which is the word, which is abiding in him. And of course, 1 Corinthians 10 and 11 talk about this. And John, So John 6 is adding another dimension of our understanding of the spiritual meaning underneath the Lord's Supper, and why Jesus would inaugurate the Supper, and even use those two elements, and what he called them, but this is not the Lord's Supper. Likewise, Jesus is not tempting to suggest that feeding people is evangelism. There's some who like to you know, blur distinctions between benevolence and evangelism because of what happens here in John 6. They say, well, Jesus fed people. Well, yeah, Jesus fed people. How did it turn out even for Jesus? He fed people, and, and he lost disciples. When he started out in John 6, he has more disciples following him than he does when he's done in John 6. Uh, everyone's happy with the food, but... Very few are happy with the spiritual message that Jesus would like to provide through the food. Now, in Galatians 6.10, we are to do good to all men, especially those households of faith, as we have opportunity. And we need to do it in the name of Jesus to glorify the Father in Matthew 5.13-16. In fact, my ways to help feed people helps to show love, to build relationships. But that's not the means that you proclaim Christ crucified. You just feed people to show that you love them and that you care for them so you can show them how Jesus is the bread of life. Uh, just feeding them is not the bread of life. But this association throughout this passage is supposed to be very powerful for the believer. Jesus is the bread of life because he is the word made flesh. And man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So, we've seen that this whole bread of life conversation is going on. But meanwhile, interspersed with this concept of Jesus as the bread of life, Jesus is talking about receiving those whom God has called and given to him, those whom God has drawn to him uh, throughout this conversation in John 6, 36-40, 44-46, 64-65. Which leads to a question. What association exists between God's election believers and Jesus as the bread of life? Why should these things be discussed together the way Jesus does here in John? If you look at the whole premise, like we said, of the man, uh, of the bread of life and the manna, it was a testing in Deuteronomy chapter 8, right? That God was testing them to see if they would follow him and believe in him or not. Now in John 6, 64 and 65, Jesus said that this is why he spoke um, about that only the ones that God has called to him are, are going to be his. Um, 
because there are some who do not, be, you know, who do not believe. That's why you can only kind of get granted by the father. So it's trying to show that there's a testing going on here as well. That's why he's talking about election, for lack of a better term. Just as God tested Israel in the wilderness with a man on the experience to see if Israel is going to trust him. Jesus is using the spiritual instruction about eating his flesh and drinking his blood to see whether these people, particularly his disciples, are going to trust in him or not. Now, what happens in the end? Well, many of the disciples don't. This was a breaking point. And Jesus is using it as a breaking point. But the twelve are broken. The twelve are, you know... Again, they're not saying they want to dig in, but they're affirming their trust in Jesus. They're affirming their trust even perhaps despite the substance of the message. Despite their own doubts. Despite their own challenges. Because they see that he is the the Holy One of God. And that he has the words of eternal life. That he, If nothing else, they've understood that he is the, the one bringing the message. And that they will understand how that all works together at some other point. So... Teachings like this do serve as testing points. Are you going to believe that Jesus or not? And and this is very important. It's very easy, especially as we try to promote the gospel. We want to we want to count it. We want to, to to make it easy for people to believe because we want them to believe. We want more people to be saved. But at the same time, that's not the way Jesus did it. There were times where Jesus intentionally said things in a in a very controversial way, in a way that was going to provoke a reaction to see if the people really trusted in him or not. And this is one of those times. Now, does this mean, as some have taken in the Calvinist and Augustinian circles, that um, God has predetermined the answer of, 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 of whether they're going to pass the test or not? There's nothing in the text that demands this. In fact, the evidence is that the un- individual's unbelief uh, when they're confronted with Jesus' instruction, that that's what shows in the end, that they don't believe. Uh, that's, that's what this test really shows in the end. If you accept and believe that God has drawn you to Jesus, gives you to Jesus, and as long as you believe, you will not be cast out. If you turn away, you're going to make void the promise. So as with the man in the wilderness, so with Jesus the bread of life. Can you accept that, to be humbled and to partake of him? If so, you believe, and you're part of Jesus and abide in him. If not, you do not believe and have no share in him. So There's no reason to, to dump in all the assumptions of, of Augustinian Calvinism into this passage. Because the, the the test is there, and then we don't need to posit a contradiction between man's will and God's will here. And they're working together. So we can see the major emphases of Jesus in this feeding of the 5,000. That Jesus is feeding this multitude to set up this spiritual conversation about Jesus as the bread of life. Now the Israelites cannot get beyond this physical, literal level, and they reject the offer of eternal life that is sustained by the word of God. So the question comes to us like it came to them so long ago. Are we willing to consume Jesus' flesh and blood, the word of God, to find eternal life in him? Or are we going to turn aside, as so many did them, and seek sustenance somewhere else and perish? That's why it's so important that we believe in the Lord Jesus, to be sustained by his word, and to obtain the resurrection of life in him. Again, we're so glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you've been encouraged. If you'd like to talk more about how Jesus is the bread of life, if you'd like to talk more about this passage or other passages, maybe you just like to talk in general. Maybe you've got other questions, maybe you have prayer requests, going through some difficulties. Any way we can be of service, please let me know. Please contact me through my website at deverbovitae.com. That's www.d-e-v-e-r-b-o-v-i-t-a-e.com. 
If you're interested in more about the Venice Church of Christ, we encourage you to check us out online at VeniceChurchOfChrist.org. We're also on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Google+, Twitter, YouTube, Meetup, and other places, mostly at Venice Church or Venice Church of Christ. We again thank you. Have a great day.